Praise God. Hey, Andy. Y'all believe in a God of miracles? It's after Thanksgiving, and look at Andy's face. Well done, mate. Well done. If you're new in the last 12 months, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And even then, you still probably don't. Uh, but last year at our church Thanksgiving football game, Andy like smashed his face on some other dude's head or knee or whatever else. And there was violence. And his whole face was like black. I think, did he end up needing nose surgery? Yeah, it was brutal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. This year, less people came. I don't know why. So people are like, okay, okay, this church is nuts. And so didn't go. Where's Travis and Samantha? Where are they sit? Oh. I was just, you know, not to give you an extra little bit, but all my life you have been faithful. Yeah. We just sung. And as I, I just felt the Lord just speaking to me, just reminding me. Sorry, encouraging me to share with you that all my life he has been faithful. Um, bless the gift, bless the giver. Because of today. At the end of your lives, he will see you say, all my life, he's been faithful. And at the end of his life, the end of Luca's life, his kids will see him say, all my life, you have been faithful. Amen. Stay the course. Be humble. But don't quit. Keep on keeping on. As a friend of mine wrote a book recently called The Never-Ending Pursuit. And I think that it's a pretty amazing um, summing, summation of uh, righteousness and sanctification, modeling the Christian life. It's a never-ending pursuit. Don't arrive. That's when he'll see hypocrisy. But if you just keep going, what he'll see is a man committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, that's what you will say at the end of your life. That's what he will say at the end of his. Amen? So, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage them with that word, seal it in their hearts, that they would know at the end of their lives, he will see them say, all my life you've been faithful, and his kids will see him say it too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. You may take your seats. I've got a few things to get through, and then I'm going to read the scripture in a moment. And it's our custom at Eternity Church. It's, it's not like a super important thing. You don't have to do it. But for us, we do stand up for the word. So can you stick around with your uh, incredible worship gift and just till I'm done with that? Would that be all right? Thanks. Um, and I'll have you stand up as we read two or three verses, about three verses uh, in about four or five minutes, okay? Um, but at the start of the, my message, I just want to give an update. Uh, we got an email coming out Tuesday, so it's important on Tuesday. Someone say Tuesday. Maybe you'd say Tuesday, you know? But anyway, Tuesday. On Tuesday, you're going to get an email. Please read the email. It's going to be a more in-depth uh, conversation about what I'm going to say now. Uh, we, have, we made a big announcement last week. So the other thing I want you to do is after I give a short announcement this week, um, before you come with your questions, the questions are fine. No, no worries at all. Ask your questions. Um, our team will answer it. Everybody's prepared. We know what's going on. We're excited. We've heard a word from God. We're going to chase it down. Um, but before you do that, could you just go watch last week's message first? Okay. <clears throat> and uh, so for two reasons. 
baptism, dedication, clarification, also um, a, a more in-depth, about 15 to 20 minute conversation about um, why we're doing what I'm about to announce to you that we're doing. Um, but also I'm aware that most churches, that every, every single week that 65% of the church is not there. And so, um, so that's why I'm going to talk about it last week, this week, and next week as well, just for a little moment. Um, if you missed it, here's what we're talking about. Uh, when we prepared to, um, to build on, <clears throat> planned to build about 30,000 square feet out there, plus this 24 is about 55,000 square feet approximately. Um, and uh, we were aware, because we'd had conversations over many years with FEMA and uh, the City Council and different things like that, that there would be significant uh, work that needs to be done uh, because of the floodway. Well, um, and what we didn't anticipate was that in the last couple of years that that would have been significantly revised and different and then it's going to be way more expensive than we could have ever imagined. We thought a few hundred thousand dollars. In fact, it's um, multiples of that. And, um, and so, um, <clears throat> so that's, that was disappointing to discover. Add to that the, um, uh, the fact that we probably anticipated 5 to 10%, I think it was about 6 or 7% actually, uh, inflation. Um, <clears throat> we never anticipated um, between 35 and 45% inflation and on many things even up to 100% inflation. Uh, all that to say the quote came back at about $16 million. Um, I've known about that for a few months and then was processing, Lord, what do we do? Um, you'll hear more about that journey in the podcast, okay, if you go watch that. Um, but where, where we landed was, at a certain point, God spoke to us about how we can still do everything that God's called us to do, but we don't have to be bad stewards while we do it. And I am convinced, as the lead pastor and my board is and our elders are, that if we were to spend $16 million doing what we were doing, that we would be bad stewards. We couldn't anyway, so we thought, well, we'll pair that back to maybe 20,000 square feet. Even that was still over $12 million, which is still $4.5 million more than we had anticipated spending. What we don't want to do is be a church that goes an extra $8 million into debt and can no longer service, can no longer fund the ministry because we're funding a building only. <clears throat> That's bad stewardship. It's, and it's also careless application of your generosity. So we're not going to, so we cannot do that. But what God spoke to us about is that we can still do everything He spoke to us about, but do it somewhere else. That's not right here in 2000 Northwest 100th Street. And so what we're doing is we've been on a journey now looking for another facility that is... See, by the way, if we did the smaller version too, we are convinced we would outgrow it in five to seven years and that Clive and FEMA would not let us add another square foot here because of impervious services and water and dealing with waterways and things like that. So we know that whatever we invest here would have been a waste of money in five to seven years. Also, again, terrible stewardship, okay? So we're not gonna, we can't do that. Uh, not with a good conscience and not with integrity. And so what we are going to do, we're still gonna do everything God said, but we're looking for a building that's between sort of 50 and 80,000 square feet, which is significantly bigger than we had originally anticipated. Uh, finish at least 50,000 square feet of it-ish uh, to begin with. Have another up to 30,000 more square feet to grow into, again, in a pipe dream, or at least a building that can be extended further in the future on its own side or something like that where it has the ability to do that. And that would be better stewardship rather than investing multiple millions of dollars in crushing the church and not end up growing it very fast. So we're not going to do that. But So we are actively looking and uh, in the next, maybe next weekend or maybe in two months, but soon we will have an announcement to make about where that is. And to put your heart at peace, we are not looking on the east side 
all right? We don't want to get robbed. I'm just kidding, my friends from the east side. That was a joke. That was a joke. We've got a lot of east siders here. I just had to make a joke, all right? Anyway, <laughs> but no, no, it's not on the east side. It's not on the south side. Um, and that's simply a distance thing. It would be too big of a move. We're looking at the southern half of Johnston, the northern half of Western Wayne, the western half of Bundalay, and the eastern half of Waikiki. Effectively, draw a mile circle around Clive. That's where we're looking. Okay? And so we want to be as close, and we will be on an interstate. And it is our hope, this is not a commitment, but it is our hope, our very strong hope, and very strong probability that we could arrive in a renovated, brand new facility, uh, still on time by sometime in the spring of, um, you know, sort of, you know, April, May, June of 2025, as was our original plan. So that's our hope, that's our prayer. Pray with us. We'll talk to you more in a few weeks, maybe sometime soon about what's happening there. Is that cool? So to say this, uh, still do everything God said. So we will still lift up the name of Jesus. We'll use every bit of sign allowance that they will let us to build as high 70 foot, hopefully, uh, steeple that has the name of Jesus glowing in the dark 24 hours a day over our city, over Central Iowa. <clears throat> we will still have a kid's wing. We'll still have an outdoor baptismal. We'll still have the kid's wing. We'll still have adult classrooms. I know they're trying to keep up with me. I'm going so fast. Still have adult classrooms to equip the saints. Still invest in the next generation in our kids' church. Still have the auditorium and still build the skate park, okay? We will do all that God spoke to us about. Outreach, inreach, all of it but somewhere where we can grow for a long time, not just have a good time. Amen? So that's our announcement. Go watch the, um, go watch the podcast. And, um, and also read the email that should be coming Tuesday. Um, so would you mind standing up as we read Colossians now? I'm going to preach a very fast sermon. But that would be the Reworks family uh, fault, not mine. And so, you know, if they stayed home because of the snow, we'd already... No, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing. We love you guys. You're awesome. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read from the back half of, um, of verse 15 uh, through to 17. All right. It says, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much that we get to be a part of a church that is growing. Lord God, that we get to be part of a church that is having kids, that has healthy marriages, that, that is seeing broken marriages restored to become healthy marriages, Lord. God, thank You for the close to 180 people who have been baptised just this year, Lord God. Thank You for all the new people. Thank You for the 30-something salvations last week, the, the seven salvations last night, Lord God, the more this morning and in the next service. God, thank You for health. Thank You for growth, Lord God. Thank You for Your faith. Favor. But God, we ask that no matter where we land, that you would help us to stay true to the call of lifting up Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. The real Jesus, not woke or broke or joke Jesus, 
but real Jesus, who preaches the truth, who's overflowing with grace, Lord God. We pray that You would help us to never bend the knee, Lord God, and give in to worldly pressures, but that as we continue to honour You and declare the Word of God with conviction and passion, Lord God, but let it drip with Your grace and Your love, that we would continue to see Your favour poured out on this house. Lord God, we're so thankful, we're so grateful that we get to be in a church that's healthy, in a church that blesses each other, in a church that can humble itself when it needs to. Lord God, we're just so grateful for all that You're doing. And we pray for Your favour and blessing to continue. And we pray for it this morning, that You would help me to preach Your Word and all of us to receive it, myself included. In Jesus' Name, somebody say, Amen. And give the Lord a shout of praise if you agree with that prayer. Come on. Amen. So you may take your seats finally. Can I ask you a question? Do any of you get angry when you're in a parking lot at Target? It's probably at Target because that's where the ungrateful people live. Um, And so, or maybe Starbucks, I don't know. But when you're in one of the parking lots, and and I didn't say everybody who goes there is ungrateful. You're the good ones, right? You're you're the good ones, okay? But you're in the, the Target parking lot, the Starbucks, somewhere like that. And you're in your car, you know, probably a Suburban or something like that. And, and then as you're driving, there's somebody, they're about to walk across the road, but there's a, there's a crossing about, about 50 yards behind you. Now, you're not thinking, go back to the crossing, you moron, or anything like that, because you're a good Christian. But you are thinking, you know, what, I'm going to let you across because I, I don't want to do murder at least not on Thursdays. And so, so you're like, all right, yeah, hey, go, go. And then so they're like this, and they just go. And they get to the other side, and they go off about their day without taking even a second to acknowledge the fact that you chose not to murder them. And you get mad, anybody else, right? Like, you just like, just, just wave at me. Just do this. All I want you to do is this. Don't even have to look at me. Just go like this. That's it. It's just, thank you for not doing murder on me right now. Right? It's just thank you. Same deal like on the interstate. Now, I'm convinced that Iowans don't even know what an indicator is for. You know, that there's a stick on the side of your steering wheel, all right? When you push it, up, you're saying, I'm turning right. When you push it down, you're telling everyone, hey, y'all, I'm turning left, all right? Now, most y'all don't use it. I get it. It's a cultural thing. I'm not here to tell you, do my culture. Your culture is better. Fully admit that. This bit, maybe not. And so what I've noticed is y'all don't use it. And when, you, when other people do use it, you don't know why. So they got this thing flashing on the back of the car, and you're like, why is one of their brake lights flashing? It's so weird. So you don't do nothing. You're just like, whatever, ain't letting them in. Admittedly, I have a big car, so I just go, well, I'm coming in, and so I do. But what really bugs me is when I see it flashing, not usually when it's next to you. You can't see that. I'm focused on what's in front of me, you know, like forgetting the former, press on toward what is in front of us. So I'm not looking to the left or to the right. But when there's a car in front of me and he's got a flashing light at the back, uh, I'm usually, nine times out of ten if I see it, I'm just like, Oh, yeah. Sometimes I don't even just take my foot off the accelerator. I'm like, you know what? I'm a brake for you. I'm going to use some of my brake pad for you, all right? Like, this is actually going to cost me finance to do this. So I'm going to slow down for you and let you in. All I want in return is you lift up your hand. That's it. 
but they almost never do. And then I'm like, oh, I'm following you home. And you're going to die today. No, I don't, I'm not really that violent. I'm just kidding. But do you ever just, you're just like, look, I, I, I just want you to say thank you. That's it. Anybody else? Am I the only one that gets mad about this? Come on, give me a wave. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. <laughs> lift up your hands. I know I'm not alone. Y'all are just, I don't want to be put in the same basket as that freak that's up on the stage there, right? So the title of my sermon today, it's, it's a rather spiteful title, I'll be honest. It's Real Christians Say Thank You. Real Christians Say Thank You. When I first moved to America, I didn't understand Thanksgiving, and some people were like, so do you have Thanksgiving? I'm like, it's a different country, you know? So no, we didn't. And, I, and it took me a while. I, I enjoyed the food and stuff, but the more I started digging into it, I'm like, this is kind of crazy. It's kind of unique. It's kind of awesome. It's the only country in the world that does this. I'm like, that's quite amazing. Actually, I think I heard this week that Liberia does as well, but they got some roots in America too. And so I'm like, this is interesting. There's, there's, um, there's a whole day set aside for the nation to be thankful to God. Not thankful. Thankful to God. It's fascinating. I'm going to read you the proclamation excuse me, excuse me, uh, from President George Washington. But first, can I just say, it amazes me how many people think that the Founding Fathers did not want any, in, any religious influence in America. Like to think that you've got to be um, deliberately a moron. I can't think of a better word. Did someone else say that word? Yeah. You, you've got to be just a deliberate moron. You know it's not true. You cannot read the history of the United States and believe that the Founding Fathers did not want any religious influence in American life or politics. Now, they obviously did not want America to be a place where you can be told, you are a Christian. They did not want that because it's unbiblical. But they did want it to be a place where there's a lot of social pressure to behave in that correct way influenced by their belief in God and his word. Not just a God, but the God, Jehovah, Yahweh, amen? And so, listen to this amazing proclamation by our first president in his first presidency. Not just in his, in the first presidency. He said, whereas it is the duty, let's put it up on the screen actually, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of almighty God to obey his will, right, to obey his will, to be grateful to his benefits and to humbly, sorry, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. No wonder we saw his protection and favor, by the way. <clears throat> and whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity to peaceably establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. George Washington printed in the post, sorry, in the newspaper, October 7th, 1789. It is the duty of nations to acknowledge the providence of God and to obey His will. What a beautiful thing to hear from a president of your country. Anybody else, right? A president so passionately thankful to God that he issues a nationwide proclamation declaring that this is a country thankful to God. We ought to obey Him. 
It's little wonder we saw such great favor poured out on this country, amen? But if I can observe, I do not feel, as I look around the United States these days, that I see that heart of gratefulness as much as we would have in times gone by. You don't need to be a scholar. You just need to have eyeballs and ears. You just need to turn on the news. You just need to look at one of the political parties' platform. And you go, it does not seem that that is who we are now. Now, don't hate the immigrant for noticing. I do love this country, all right? I love this country. I love what she stands for. I love what she's been. I love what she was founded upon. And I love what she can be. But sadly, I see a lot of people, and not just young people. Let's not harass the young people here. Come on now. People, I don't just see the last generation. I see a couple. I see a lot of people in the USA, and frankly in Western culture in general, that have no understanding of what the men and women went through, had to endure to give them what they have now. They're not grateful for those who went before them. They're not grateful to God. In fact, they've been tricked into hating everything that went before them and hating everything about God and religion. Instead of being thankful, they tear down and they think that they're entitled to what they've been given. No, this is, I'm entitled to this wealth and this, this goodness and I'm entitled to it all. And they, they, th- they even think they're entitled to what other people have too. Instead of being thankful for people who pay more taxes to them, while they might pay none, some, they complain about it as they drive on roads funded by those who do pay taxes. As they grow more and more entitled and as they tear down more and more of those who went before them, their founding fathers, their grandparents, their actual parents, their preachers, their community leaders, their friends and parents, as they tear down more and more of what went before them, they find themselves with nothing to stand on. Now, I'm not judging people who don't pay taxes. I myself spent many years not paying taxes. One of the benefits of having kids. Oopsie. Anyway. (laughs) I spent many years living in the favor and the blessing that came because other people earned more than me and paid more taxes than me. But I wasn't entitled. I was grateful. You hear what I'm saying? Sadly, what these generations think they've done is remove all the guardrails so they can go anywhere they want and be anything they want. They think they've brought themselves more freedom by rebelling against what went before them. But it's not just the guardrails that they've removed, it's the roads that they've removed. It's not just the signpost that they've taken down, it's the foundations that they've tried to destroy. And many now feel free to be anything they want, unrestricted by old values, uninhibited by the pressures of the old guard, not confronted by old ways. They can be anything they want, or so they thought. But in reality, it didn't bring freedom. It brought them bondage. They're not happier than their grandparents were. They're nowhere near it. Their grandparents who would come home with filthy clothes from head to toe were so much more happier than they were by every measurable standard. They're more suicidal than they've ever been before. They're more broken. It's hard to watch. I don't say this to be like, you stupid young people or you stupid whatever generation. No, 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 no. It's hard to watch. It's sad to see a whole generation, a couple even, struggle through life with nothing to stand on, nothing at all. I recently watched a video. It broke my heart. It was of a young woman getting pulled over by the police. And as I watched it, oh, man, it crushed me. I think the person who posted it meant to mock her, but that's not the effect it had on me. She was driving erratically, and so the cop pulled her over. Turns out she'd been drinking and driving, which is a bad idea. Throughout the conversation, 
She threw every single piece of intersectional victimhood that she could muster. Every single piece of it. She found it. She threw it at him. I'm non-binary. And calling me ma'am really triggered me. And she was triggered by it. I'm a young woman. And standing out here near a man is scaring me. I'm a Native American. And being near white people just really frightens me. She was very, very white, by the way. I think she was probably like, um, what's her name? Elizabeth Warren, Native American style. You know? Like 700 years ago, her great-grandpa. You know? I've got bad social anxiety. I've got generational trauma. So being near police is really hard. What's so sad is I didn't get the feeling she was making excuses. Perhaps she was. I don't know her heart. But I didn't get the feeling she was making excuses. To me, it seemed that she had genuinely been convinced of all of this garbage. And it had destroyed her. It had broken her spirit. That the system, instead of teaching her to be grateful and build from where she is, she was taught to collect offense. And she was taught to collect victimization, to collect victimhood in her life. Taught to tear down every single thing that could have helped her in a situation like this. The world destroyed her and she had nothing left to stand on. And I thought, how did she end up here? How did she get to this place where she's got nothing left to stand on? Because no matter what happens in her life, she can't stand on the strength of her father because, well, they had to tear down the patriarchy. She can't stand on the values of hard work because the woke folk taught her that working is slavery. She can't stand on personal responsibility because they had to tear that down because that word represents colonization and oppression. She couldn't stand on womanhood because they told her that's just a social construct. They've torn down womanhood and no one even knows what it means anymore. She couldn't stand on any sort of mental strength because they already tore down anything in her life that could have provided some strength in her mind. She couldn't stand on Jesus, the firmest foundation of them all, because they tore that down too and told her that religion is oppression and anywhere it's involved, it's oppressive. And it just made me sad. I know they wanted us to be mad at her, but it made me sad. I wasn't mad at her at all. The cop handled it like a pro, by the way. I was so impressed. But I just felt so broken for her and the millions of other young people like her. Nothing to stand on. And I thought, what can we do to fix this? Number one, we've got to stop tearing down everything from the past. And since it's the weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, I thought, you know what? This won't fix everything. But one thing we can do is teach them to be grateful. See, because... You don't tear down things you're grateful for. You don't tear down your parents if you are grateful for them. You don't tear down their business that they built for you if you're grateful for it. You don't tear down their culture if you're grateful for it. But you know what's sad? The world's not going to naturally move from entitlement to gratefulness. I know you might be in here and you're like, it's going to change. Can I tell you? The world will not, of their own volition, move from entitlement over to gratefulness. It's not going to happen. Scripture tells us that humanity's natural disposition 
is wickedness. You know, people always say, uh, trust your heart. Don't say that to an unbeliever ever again. Jeremiah 17 says the human heart is wicked, insidious, and sick beyond belief. The psalm speaks of humanity's wickedness all the way from the womb. Ephesians calls those without Jesus the sons of disobedience. Anyone here last name Johnson? I think there's some Johnsons here somewhere. Where are they? I saw them. There's one. His last name Johnson. That would have came from he's John's son, right? The identity of his family is John's son. They're all from John, right? Well, these people, the world, those without Jesus, the thing that identifies them is their surname of disobedience. They are disobedient sons. That's what Scripture tells us about the human heart. But we don't have to be wicked, by the way. We don't have to be wicked like that. We can partner with God, working with the Holy Spirit to bend the will of our hearts toward godliness and righteousness. But it's a daily struggle. You've got to wake up daily and, and just daily, just a lifestyle of repentance. Every day you're like, I will turn from sin and toward God. I will turn from sin and toward God. I will turn from sin and wickedness toward God and righteousness. Amen. <clears throat> we can partner with God. But the point is that virtue is not the natural disposition of the human heart. And so when the world does wickedness, they're doing what the disposition of their heart is ever since original sin. And the world will not naturally swing away from it at all. Subthought though, that's actually why, can I go on a little different, little tangent? I've got, you know, 17.31 minutes, okay? That's also why it's so important for Christians to vote in elections, because they won't naturally just be like, we're going to be good people with more freedoms to do whatever we want. No, they're not. That's not what they're going to do. It's important for Christians to vote for biblical values in their elections. Sanctity of life, anti-abortion politicians, uh, biblical family values. I say anti-abortion, by the way, because it's time for Christians to stop saying I'm pro-life, but not be anti-abortion. Okay. You're not pro-life if you're not anti-abortion, just FYI. You're not. You're, you're just ticking a little box to make you feel better when you're like washing your hands like Caesar, you know? Like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, was it Pontius Pilate? Who washed their hands? Yeah, Pilate. Like Pilate, you know, well, I'll let the people decide. That's what it is when you say, I'm not for abortion, but they can do what they want. You're washing your hands, okay? Because the human heart will want wickedness, okay? See, politics used to be more similar. It was like right and left, and they were similar. And, uh, you know, there was a couple of things they disagreed on. And, uh, and now we, we've got one party that just stands for radical gender ideology, radical sexual perversion, radical mutilation of children, radical destruction of kids in the womb. It's radical now. It could never have been more different. It's important that we vote biblical values, especially over the next 12 months. Come on now. They're not the same anymore with just a little different opinion on whether or not healthcare should be public or not. It's not like that. See, it's important. See, although it's impossible, although it's impossible to legislate wickedness out of people's hearts, we can vote for people who pass laws that will restrain the wickedness that's in people's hearts. Let me say that to you again if you didn't understand what I said. It is impossible. People say you can't legislate morality, and I agree with you. But what you can do is legislate restraint. So though it's impossible to legislate wickedness out of people's hearts, 
We can vote for people who will pass laws that will restrain the wickedness that is in people's hearts. That's why it's illegal to steal. People still want to. Sometimes you want to, but you don't, right? That's why it's illegal to rape. That's why it's illegal to assault. It doesn't change the evil intent, but it puts a roadblock up to restrain the evil intent. It doesn't always work, but most of the time it does. So we vote for people who will put roadblocks up against evil. Amen? But back to my point. Though the world won't naturally sway away from entitlement to gratefulness, we as a church can show them a better way. We can make a change right here. We can be grateful. We can teach our children how to be grateful for what went before us and grateful to God. Amen? If we don't teach our kids to be grateful, they won't be. If we don't teach our kids to be thankful, they won't be thankful. They're not going to naturally grow up and be like, you know what, I'm going to start being thankful today. No, they won't. We have to teach them. They've got to learn. You're going to teach them or the world's going to teach them. Sorry, by the way, I don't mean the world. I mean, or life situations will teach them when suddenly they learn what it's like to not have something and then they're grateful when they finally do have something. Amen? We've got to teach them. That's why all day long as parents... We're saying, say thank you, 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 Charlie, say thank you, Henry, say thank you, Zoe, say thank you, Judah, say thank you, Eli, say thank you, Charlie, say like on repeat. There is not a sentence on earth I have said more in my life than say thank you. Any other parents give me a wave if you know what I'm talking about, right? Why do we have to say it all the time? Because it's not their natural disposition. We have to bend their will of their hearts toward godliness and righteousness and gratefulness, right? So we got to keep reminding them, say thank you or they won't. And if you don't teach them to say thank you, they become entitled to it. They're like, I'm not saying thank you because I'm entitled to it. I don't need to say thankful for dinner because I'm entitled to it. No, you're not. Say thank you. Anybody else? Come on now. Well, I'm thankful in my heart. Really? What are you going to do when you tell your kids, when they just grab that can of Coke that you finally let them have and they're like, they just walk away with it. You're like, say thank you. Uh, it was in my heart. No, say thank you. Anybody else? Saying thank you is acknowledging that what you just experienced was more than you were entitled to. I'm not entitled to you going shopping for me. I'm not entitled to your money being spent on me. I'm not entitled to your time. I'm blessed by it, and so I'm thankful for it. Say thank you. Amen. Amen. Now, over and above teaching our kids to say thank you to us, it's important that we teach them to say thank you to God. That's why our scripture that I read doesn't just say, with thanksgiving in your heart, but it goes on to add, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. Not just thankfulness in your heart, not with an attitude of gratefulness. No, 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 but giving thanks. That word literally, as it was recorded by the apostle in Greek when he wrote that down, that word wasn't just giving thanks like this, this kind of, you know, like we sing give thanks, 
with a grateful heart, you know? Like we just sing it and it's like, oh yeah, it's this religious kind of concept where this cliche kind of concept where, we, where we, we're living in thanksgiving. We have gratefulness. No, 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 no. That's not what the word was. It, it literally means saying thank you, God. So it would be whatever you do, saying thank you to God the Father through Jesus Christ. It's not just a heart thing, it's a mouth thing. It's not just a fourth Thursday of November thing. It's in everything you do, say, thank you, God. Come on, thank you, God. How often does the sentence, thank you, God, come out of your mouth? Because here we're being told, whatever you do, in all the things that you're doing, thank you, God. In all the things you receive, thank you, God, in every road that you drive on, thank you, God, for the people that funded the road I'm driving on right now. Thank you, God. This message really is like part two of my sermon, Look at Me, from a couple of weeks. I wasn't telling you to look at me just then. There was a sermon titled Look at Me a couple of weeks ago. That sermon was about the need to be more mindful of God all day, living in the personal presence of God, giving God the moments between the moments. So have a moment with you and then a moment with God and then a moment with you and then a moment with God and then a moment over there and a moment with God, giving God the moments between the moments. Statio was the Latin word they used in early Christianity to symbolize the moments in between the moments. Saying thank you is probably the best way to be mindful of God in your moments between your moments. Just, just say thank you, God. Rob Sark's one of the best people I've ever seen at that. You know, I, I noticed a couple of years ago that he'd just be walking around and he'd be like, thank you, Jesus. And, and he didn't even know he's doing it. He's just walking around, thank you, Jesus. And then he'll just be like, ah, and he'll just start speaking in tongues. And you're like, man, this guy has moments between the moments just nailed. He's always saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's how I want to live. Thank you for my car. Thank you for this meal. Thank you for this job. Thank you for this weather. Thank you. Thank you for this friend. Thank you for this road that I'm driving on. Thank you for the police I just drove past on it. Thank you that they protect us. Thank you he didn't notice that I was going 14 miles over the limit. Thank you, Jesus. If he does pull us over, as he pulls up, we're just, we're just saying, thank you, Lord. I know that him pulling me over has probably just saved my life. I may have got into an accident up there. Thank you, Lord. Any coppers in the room? Give me a wave. Any coppers? Yeah, yeah, isn't that true? Doesn't when every, any time someone pulls you over, don't they immediately just say, thank you, you probably saved my life, you know? <laughs> thank you, Jesus. A couple of weeks back, I went on a quick surfing trip with my friend, Pastor Sean. Before I went, I was watching Jaws with Judah. And um, I'm not necessarily saying it's a great idea to watch that with your son, so it was one of those moments for me where I was like, okay, cool, well, we're pretty deep, we'll just keep going, you know? <laughs> so, if there's sexual stuff, we're like, nah, Boom, gone. Which, by the way, it's amazing how many movies you put on uh, as an adult. You know, we, we always say, movies weren't like that when we were young. And then you watch one with your kid and you're like, they were just like that and we are turning this off. Right? <laughs> well, this was just more like, you know, just people getting eaten by sharks. Nothing, no big deal. And so, um, well, no big deal for an Aussie anyway. <laughs> and so we're there, we're, me and Judah are watching it. And Judah goes, why do you like surfing when there's sharks out there? And I was like, and I don't know if it was the right answer, but I told him, I, I, think, it's, I think I like surfing because there's sharks out there. <laughs> you know, like just a little minute sort of midgety little bit of danger. You know, just, just a tiny little possibility that, you know, you know, you might go home without a leg or, or a head, you know. Like it's kind of, 
I kind of like that. And any men in here know what I'm talking about, right? Like, there's got to be a couple. You're like, it's kind of like why you like riding your motorcycle with no helmet. You're like, yeah, it's, you, know, you know, like king of the world, you know? Might not have been the right answer, but it's true. Anyway, as I was out there, got past the break in the deep water with who knows what swimming underneath me. I just started saying out loud, thank you, Jesus. Just out loud, thank you for the water. Thank you for the ocean. Thank you for this. It's beautiful. Thank you for the fish that I can see swimming underneath me. Because out past the break, it was like glass out there. And I realized as I was sitting there, I was like, oh, I'm just saying this out loud again, even when I'm surfing. Thank you. It had become a habit for me to say thank you to God. And not just off the cuff, like, yes, dear, kind of thing. You know, like, what did I just say yes to? You know, like, but actually just like, thank you, Lord. It's become part of the habits of my life to whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, just to be saying thank you to God. I found myself saying thank you on repeat. And sometimes for the oddest of things, I got rolled by a wave and, and I just, boom, popped back up and so did my board. And I got up and it was weird. I was like, thank you for buoyancy, Lord. And I was like, what? I didn't say buoyancy. What's happening here? Thank you for good health. To be able to swim out past the breaks, it's not always easy to get out there. Thank you I'm able to fly out here. Thank you for a wife who encouraged me to go on a quick surf trip. Because I'm not entitled to surfing. I'm not entitled to a beautiful and encouraging wife. I'm not entitled to fly out there. It's a gift. I'm living a better life than my behavior would suggest that I deserve. And I'm thankful to God, amen? See, the things that we feel entitled to, we start to take for granted. And we should not be surprised the things we take for granted disappear out of our lives. Let me close with this. And on point, by the way, on point with your timing, just amazing. Yesterday, I was at a cafe for about five hours. Not every Saturday, but most of them, I just like to spend some time just buttoning up in the morning, you know, try to get there about eight. And just buttoning up, you know, my sermon. And in the time I was there, I probably had about, I don't know, seven or eight different tables come and go next to me, you know, each side of me. One table was two men, all the rest were all ladies. One table after the other. There for about 30 minutes or so, and then off they go. I couldn't hear the men talking. Maybe they talk quieter. I don't know. It's just an observation. Don't judge me. I had headphones on. And so I don't know what they were talking about at all. Didn't hear a single word they said. But I did hear all the ladies speaking. And, um, you know, and that's what we love about you. You communicate. Let's do it. I just lost all the women for a second. (laughs) It's just an observation, that's it. Now, can I say this before I go, though? I know some men do this too, and they shouldn't. It's just, it was the seven tables of ladies next to me that I happened to hear yesterday. I all started wondering too. I'm like, is this a ladies' cafe? Because I'm the only dude, you know. But every table that I heard speaking, these ladies were complaining about their husbands and mocking them too. 
Just mocked them the whole time. I'm like, this is Thanksgiving weekend. I'm preparing a sermon right now about Thanksgiving. And this is what is surrounding me. On and on. He never, I just can't believe. He always on and on and on. Just mocked them the whole time. One was complaining how, you know, I clean the house. It's only ever clean for one day and then it's not clean anymore. And I'm sitting there going, come to my house. It's clean for 87 seconds. Because humans live inside it. You want your Instagram house? Move out and just turn up for photos. Like, come on now. Complaining about how a husband stacks the dishwasher. I was like, the age-old cliche. You know, people say, you can either tell me to do it or how to do it, but not both. You know that old cliche? I was sitting here going, well, Lord, you bless me with this moment. I didn't know it was real. I didn't know people actually really do complain about that. But it wasn't the same. It was different. She's complaining about how he's always loading the dishwasher so loud when I'm trying to watch TV. He always does it when I'm trying to watch TV. I wanted to say, honey, my wife would say thank you if she ever caught me stacking a dishwasher. She'd be like, make as much noise as you want. Praise it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm not against helping. I do help around the house. I like to vacuum, but I, um, I do hate dishwashers. I do hate dishes in general because growing up, um, a lot of, you know, there's like a billion people lived in my house. I think nine people lived in my house and my parents made us do the dishes every single night. And by the end of all those dishes every night, my hands were just so wrinkly, you know? And then I'd go to bed and not even sure if when I wake up, if I move too fast, that my, my skin might slide off, you know? And so I'm sort of have PTSD, you know? Come on, everyone, say, oh, for the victim. Thank you. Then when they got done, I heard one group move on to their bosses at work. Well, my boss, and well, my boss, and well, my boss. And one had the audacity to say how their boss, how he gave them a 10% raise. But after inflation, it barely helped at all. I was like, imagine being that boss. I'd be like, out now, though, before I get the Suburban, find you at a crossing and do murder. Get out now. Go, 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 get out. I want to get up and be like, listen, come to church today. It's funny, but it's heartbreaking. No wonder the world's in chaos. Like, yeah, there's a chance that your husband's an idiot. But I guarantee there's not an hour or half an hour to an hour's worth of your entire conversation with your friends worth of him being an idiot. Like, I'm married to someone who's married to a man, so I get it. I get it. We're not always amazing. Neither are you, as evidenced by the lunch experience yesterday. But we gotta be more grateful for people and for the good things God's brought into our lives. We're so blessed we got to complain about our spouses being too loud when they stack the dishwasher. So blessed that we got to complain about a house getting dirty because people freaking live in it. So blessed we got to complain that our boss wants us to go to work. Like that was one of them. He wants me to go to work now. 
I'm like, yeah, that's normal. I want to get that suburban. Yeah. We don't even have a suburban anymore, do we? I don't know what I was going to use. I've got a 2010 Silverado. It doesn't move. How about, Lord, thanks for answering my prayer. My husband stacked a dishwasher. I don't care how loud he was. Thank you for a man that helps me. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my office. Thank you I can pay my bills. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you I have a husband. Well, thank you I have a wife. Thank you that I'm not alone, even though my filthy attitude indicates I don't deserve one. Thank you, Lord. Can we say amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for you in a minute that the Lord will speak to you about what you are ungrateful for that you risk losing. You know what these ladies that I was reading about? And again, I know men do it, but it was just, that's who was with me yesterday. Um, These ladies, hopefully they've got godly, righteous husbands that aren't perfect, but are willing to say, well, I'm sticking around no matter what. I'm staying married. But I wouldn't take that for granted. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I wouldn't take that contract for granted. No man should leave his wife and no wife should leave her man. But I wouldn't take that for granted. Let me end with this. Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because these days are evil. Can I tell you, your whole coffee or lunch, teasing your spouse is not making the most of your time. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We're going to speak on the Holy Spirit again soon. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the heart, sorry, to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand up with me as I get ready to close? I'll be about two more minutes. I just want to pray for people away from Jesus. Then we're going to open the front for prayer. If you don't have a relationship with God, give Him your life right now. Life's better with Him. He'll help you shake the bitterness off your life and find gratefulness. He'll help you shake entitlement off your life and be thankful. And you'll discover that when you live in gratefulness and thankfulness, you get to build from where you are instead of tearing down and ending up down there yourself. God's good. God's got good plans for your life. And I want you to say yes to Him today. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Eternity Church. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.